I'd like you, if you will, to come with me to the precincts of the area just outside of the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, Luke, the writer of one of the Gospels in his second book, The Acts of the Apostles, tells us of a rather exciting story uh, that took place uh, in those early days. Let's listen to Paul. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man, crippled from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave, him, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him.
Congo, way up in the northeast in the, in the rainforest um, was behind. I was traveling with some um, people who we would know as pygmies, but the Batswat tribe, a very small people. Um, there, I think the highest a pygmy will grow to will be about four foot eight. So you meet them, you think, what's a young girl? But actually, it's a mother with six or seven children. And they were taking us through the jungle. And one point, we, we the following, we got to this bridge, and the picture was here. This isn't quite a bridge, I don't have a camera with me at the time, but it was a bridge a bit like this, in a sense, not quite sophisticated. It was basically two sort of vines on the side and some up below it, and we had to sort of walk along to get across this river in Congo. Um, the river was quite a long way down, so it was not so, it was similar to that, these bridges in that regard. But there were also something down by the river, I don't think I can see them here, these sort of crocodiles. Now, crocodiles are great creatures, they look sort of, sort of sleepy, don't they, as if they're not going to carry the world. But I'm sure if you fall in the water, they can be very quick. So I was standing with my friends and these Batwa people at the edge of this bridge, and the Batwa, they just shot across as if, you know, they were, they'd gone. And we had to follow them. Well, do I or don't I? Do I have confidence that this bridge is going to take my weight, which is a bit more than the average Batwa, or do I have confidence that I'm going to just be able to, you know, do this thing of walking across this river? And I thought, after a while, I thought, Gingerly went so I'm going across this and it was wiggling if I you know looked down at the crocodile, I'm sure they were looking at me, you know, thinking sweet sounds all to go down the tree to the sky. And uh, anyway, I was walking across and suddenly I'm halfway across this bridge and a woman came to me the other direction with a big pot on her head. How am I gonna get past this woman? And then my confidence took anything. I thought, well, I, I, I remember going sort of like this, and at that point I really could see the crocodile. He was at that point, and his teeth, you know, his, I'm sure his jaw was open a bit. And the woman just shot behind me, and off she went. I made my way across. Confidence in things. We all talk about confidence in things. Don't we? Even this morning, as we've sat on chairs here, we've got confidence that someone's not put a sword through one of the legs and it's all over. But we've got to be people who have confidence in the gospel. Um, and yet we live in a society in the Western world where often that confidence is not. Um, we hear of figures of declining church attendance. We hear of people who just dismiss Christianity. Well, that's a thing of the past. It's a thing about history. And if we're looking for spiritual truth, we will look for it. But probably not in a church, but we'll look for it in other ways, in other places. Um, and yet we are people, God's people, who are called to have confidence in Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And we go um, from this building, we go to our homes, we go to our places of work and the communities where we live. We're called to be people who have confidence that the gospel is God's power to transform lives today, just as it was in this amazing story in Acts chapter 3 that Paul read to us so well. This amazing story of people, the early disciples, with huge confidence. So if you think about the context of the story, here um, are the disciples. They're in Jerusalem, firstly a city under Roman occupation. The Romans were not known as easy people to live alongside, because if you stepped out of line with Rome, you ended up put on a cross, um, or you ended up flogged, imprisoned. Let's move on to the next slide, which will list these points out. It was so a uh, Jerusalem city under Roman occupation. Jewish authorities were in power there. The Jewish authorities were people who wanted to 
Um, keep everything in line. Don't set out of order. Keep by the laws of um, that we have made for you. Don't do this on a Sabbath. Don't do that. Behave yourself. Fit in. Don't rock the boat. And again, there were people who sought to punish people who set out of line. Remember the story where a woman was brought to adultery to Jesus and they said, shall we stone this woman for the sin that she has committed? She had stepped outside of out of line with Jewish law. They wanted her to be stoned to death as Stephen was stoned to death for stepping out of line with Jewish authorities. It was the city as well where Jesus had recently crucified. And so you might have thought his followers would sort of just want to keep a low profile. The it was this context where there were crowds thronging around. There were set times in the day for Jewish people and they gathered at the temple to pray. This was one of those times in the afternoon. This was no place where you could be anonymous and sort of late at night sort of sneaking quietly, but rather there were people thronging around. It was a man sitting who had been crippled from birth. No expectation of change in his life. Simply a few coins to give him his next meal. And that was about all he expected. You might say this was a context in which people would have no great confidence that God was going to do anything. And certainly the disciples might not be one just going to want to just keep quiet. And yet we see this amazing response. We see um, Peter and John filled with the Holy Spirit, the experience of Pentecost, that previous chapter when the Holy Spirit comes. These men who were cowering behind uh, closed doors, suddenly out in the street, speaking out in confidence. And this man's life being transformed in a radical way. What's to think, firstly, about the crippled beggar and his particular Situation. He was in a terrible situation, crippled, unable to work, there was no um, national health service to support him, there was nothing that was going to um, change his situation, there was, there was no um, benefit system, there was nothing like that. He was debilitated, he was viewed as well, perhaps a bit critically, by people, thinking, well, why is he crippled from birth? It must be because of some thing wrong in his family, some sin that his parents have committed, some, somebody's done something wrong that he should end up like that. That's God's judgment upon him. And it's interesting when you travel around the world, you see that very often commonly, the way people react. I remember being in India a few years ago with um, a woman with a child in her hands and she said she refused health care because she said for her child who was sick because she said actually this sick child in her belief system, perhaps it was there was a, her hope was really the child if the, the child dies, the child did, that the child would be reincarnated, perhaps better next time out. The child had been born in with bad health, and that was some sort of judgment upon this child. And so she would rather let the child die than access health care that was offered to In Haiti, where um, Laura's based, I remember it, there very often people say, well, the same, there are no disabled people, can be a common reflection, but actually disabled people are very often something wrong with that person to be disabled. I imagine it's true of most parts of the world that people have a very negative view of disability. And unfortunately something that in our country I suppose a lot of change has been brought about in terms of affirming and valuing people with disability. But this man was looked down upon, no expectation of change. And yet we read this amazing verse, he jumped to his feet, began to walk, and went with him into the temple courts, walking, jumping and praying. 
Christ and God, God transformed him completely. Um, that verse in Ephesians that I think resonates with this story, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The God who is able to transform lives and situations. Do we really believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever? That he can transform situations today as he did then. In the early 1950s, um, in the land of Nepal, which we'll show you something of Nepal next, people gathered, there was one known believer in Christ in Nepal in 1951. It was a Hindu kingdom, the doors were closed, missionaries, Christians could not walk in because that was the nature of Nepal at that time. But people gathered on the border of Nepal in India and they prayed and they prayed that God would do something amazing. And in 1951, the doors opened for the first time. Christians were able to go into Nepal and speak about the love of God in Jesus Christ. By, um, let's see, I'll put it down here. By 1990, there were maybe 40,000 believers in Nepal. If you went to Nepal today, when I was there, I think it was last year, you would find estimates of about 850,000 to a million people following Jesus Christ. Out of a population of 26 million, um, almost a million people now following Jesus in the course of about 60 years. Um, to the extent that now Christmas Day is a national holiday, it would be unheard of 60 years ago. But now, because there are so many Christians, um, it's a national holiday. God doing amazing things, transforming. I was talking to one of um, uh, a family of ours who worked there, been there for about 16 years. So I lived there a long time, Martin and Katrina Butterworth, and Martin said to me, it's as if Hinduism is crumbling, that was the word he used, it's crumbling before the church, and people are turning to Christ in significant numbers. And so we have to believe that God can do the same in other parts of the world. We have um, a prayer uh, initiative praying for North Korea at the moment,
Friday, um, who again um, will be going out to work in North Korea with us very soon and um, later on this year. And so we're beginning to see people saying, Yeah, I believe I'm going to pray for that land, but I also believe that God will take us call to go and work in that land and make Christ known. So we're called to be people who are confident, um, no matter what our circumstance might say, say to us, to believe that God is able to transform and to change countries as well as our own situation, but bring it down to your own situation where God has placed you and your family, praying perhaps for some of your family who seems far from Christ, in your place of work where you go, or your college, or wherever you are, to believe that God can use you to be the light of Christ in that place, to point people to Jesus. Just going back to this um, man sitting at the gate, though, his life was transformed in every way. He didn't, we're told that he praised God, so he, he had some sort of encounter with God that day. He knew that as he wasn't some magic potion he'd been given, but that God had done it. The words of Peter were, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ, and that just rise up and walk. He knew that's where his healing had come. He had this encounter with the living God. But his disability was dealt with, and in the sense that in his day, suddenly put him in a new place in society, he was able to earn a living Once he was looked down upon, perhaps judged, suddenly his life was changed and he was viewed differently. And that's something of the work of BMS across the world. We want to introduce people to Jesus, but we want to introduce them to this life in all its fullness. And so, Lord, we're working with Haiti Hospital. They're about caring for people who are in their whole needs, their physical needs. It would be a bit, you know, would it, it just seemed wrong to me just to preach the gospel, as it were dealing with a spiritual issue when people are suffering and struggling. And so we seek to try and, and make Christ known in the fullness of bringing healing and transformation to people. We'll take it to Mozambique now. I mean, that's the next picture. There you are, Kevin in Mozambique, with Rachel and family. There, Hannah and Samuel as well. One of the projects, or probably the key project that Tim and Rachel have been called to take a lead on for us is something called Far From God's Way. Which again is saying we want people to encounter Jesus, but in that sense of the fullness of life that Jesus offers. Because many people in parts of Africa struggle to literally feed their family. Mozambique is in the bottom four of the United Nations Human Development Index. It was ravaged by war and it's still just trying to pull itself out of that. And so people live in huge poverty, um, unable to support themselves and to. Uh, feed their own families. And so there's this particular project called Farming Godsway that we're using in Zimbabwe, in Uganda, and now hopefully in Mozambique, where we're giving people basic agricultural skills and gifts in that field. You'll see cabbages spaced out rather than this sort of just chuck seed into a field and hope it's all going to just grow and it's all random and cabbages close together. Um, but rather spacing of crops, irrigation, simple practices that actually transform communities. We've recently um, done a project in northern Uganda, dissimilar to Mozambique, a place ravaged by war, where it was a net receiver of food aid two years ago, but today is now a net exporter of food to other parts of Uganda because of this farming God's way. And coming alongside and training farmers in agricultural practice, but also discipling them as well, and helping them to see that actually stewardship of the land is part of God's um, intent for us when we go back to creation, when God created man to care for the 
Rachel um, will be spearheading that work alongside local churches in those ahead. I want to move though our focus from the, uh, the beggar, as it were, to Peter and John and what lessons we can learn from them in their response to this situation. And particularly thinking about this confidence, where is it coming from? Firstly, to say confidence is instilled by an encounter with God. Peter and John were confident in and of themselves. If you remember just a few weeks before this occasion, Peter had denied Christ three times as he was arrested and taken away by the Roman soldiers. But Peter had had a profound encounter with Jesus on the lake side. Do you remember the time when three times Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know that I do. Do you love me? Do you love me? And there was this re-engaging with Jesus. A relationship that had been broken was made strong again. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and Peter was transformed from being this man cowering behind uh, in the shadows to a man who was confident, not in himself, but in Jesus Christ. Secondly, it was a confidence that was not reckless, but grounded in the promises of God. When asked for money, Peter knew that he had very little money himself. His resources were limited. But he knew that the promise of God was to change and transform lives. And he said these words, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Peter believed in the healing power of Jesus, in the transforming power of the gospel. And it was in that confidence that he stepped out in. <coughs> and sometimes we did actually find ourselves sending people out to places of risk. Next picture will take you to land of Afghanistan. Um, a land that has been um, ravaged by war and to this day is still the case. I was remembering the last time I came to from driving down, we had an emergency phone where people can phone 24-7. And I was dealing with phone calls coming in from northern Afghanistan um, where a number of people who were with our partner organisation had been killed. And uh, the phone had been taken and it was actually the uh, people who killed them who were phoning up. And I was being asked to keep them talking um, so that they could try and trace where the people were. But we have families like the Lewis family now from Epsom, not familiar Marshall here, who are currently at our training centre going out to work in Afghanistan to make Christ known. A place of huge risk, a place where people have died making Christ known. And yet we go not recklessly thinking, let's go to a really dangerous place for the sake of the world, but we go, go believing that God goes with us. That actually the safest place for any of us to be is actually the place where God calls us to be and to serve Him. And so for this particular family, making Christ known in Afghanistan is not something that they walk into in a foolhardy way, but believing very clearly that God has called them to serve.
there was something about the challenge upon me to say, I need to step out of that comfort zone and not just have the easy conversation, but also talk about faith and what that's meant for me over the last 25, 30 years since I left university. For Steve and Ismay Green family, I know we came with the church here, in Tunisia this day, um, serving Christ and taking them out of their comfort zone. Steve and Ismay were in Tunisia, um, making Christ known through palliative care in particular, and bringing an expertise into that family where only would have that, training people up to care for people at the end of life. I was reading uh, a prayer from Steve and Ismay this morning, and it talked a lot about some of the challenges in their setting when they worked with refugees coming over from Libya, people who'd been escaped on some of these boats uh, across to mainland Europe and gone. And they said this, I'll just read this little section from their newsletter, just a couple of sentences. They say, despite all of the pressures that we're under, they say, believers still meet in many parts of the country. Here, this man is part of a small group meeting with an inquirer and watching the El Basira DVD in Arabic course exploring the prophet's life up to Jesus. Steve has made contact with a young man who became a believer last year. Steve Ismay could have opted for a much easier life. They could have said, well, actually, life's more easy in the UK, medical work here. But they put themselves in Tunisia because who will tell the people of Tunisia that they're Christ unless Steve Ismay go and others will them. And so they stepped out of their comfort zone. The last thing to say, and I'll end with this, is that confidence is a lifestyle. It's not a one-off event. It's easy for you to say, well, last week I was confident, but what about this week? What about the week that lies ahead? Well, I still have confidence to make Christ known in places where God has placed me. I was trying to find out earlier this year when I was in West Bengal in India, and took you to a picture that will take us there now. And we work with a church planting partner there, the partnership who used this, well, I left it my Omega Wars, I was showing you earlier with the audio gospel there. And we have a boat, a DMS boat, would you believe, out that goes around the Sundar and reaching out to communities who have never heard the name of Jesus. And I was out um, with our church planting partner, our team leader in India, Michael Benjamin Francis, who's a worldwide evangelist. And um, anyway, between arrived on the boat, I had Ben and his team go ahead, and I just walked on behind him. I met this man with the um, shawl across him. I met him, he had a fishing net around him. And we engaged in, once we engaged in a conversation, my big goalie is next to zero. Uh, and, but I was going about fish and what side of fish is fishing to do. I grew up in Ireland, I used to fish as a boy. And so with a translator then, very much live, he came alongside and we were talking. And the man beckoned me to follow him to his house. Went to his simple house on the shores of the riverbank. Um, sure, like many people there, would be a fisherman, fish farming in big uh, fields. And we were talking about fishing and uh, growing up, and then a lot of people teed me, um, and a lot of people see Hindu gods above his door. I said, uh, Tell me about your Hindu gods, how do they make you feel? At that point, there was a sadness that came across Joey's face. He uh, was sad, he said, My gods make me feel afraid. My gods fill me with fear. Time and I said to Ollie, rather than go to 
So we prayed together. Um, and it turned out to show you he's in his 80s. He's the elder of the village that night. He said the whole village needs to come and hear that God that Peter has told me that. He put up a, a screen and showed the Jesus film, this film that simply just tells the life of Christ. And he talked after that. And a number of people um, made a commitment to Christ that night. And we left the church planter um, in that village to carry on the work. And today, the church is, has started and it's growing. It's a small village in the middle of nowhere in West Bengal. But it just struck me again as it challenged me to be open to God using me. I need to have a confidence myself. And something in my role, a bit behind the scenes, I'm But it was a real joy and privilege to be involved in showing back there his step of faith and to see a church starting. And it just, as I saw that happening, I mean, that was from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. We live in a very different culture. I'm not saying that will happen in the UK in quite the same way. I was involved in church planting for many years in the UK. Um, and it was not as immediate as that, but it was a very good voice. But nevertheless, we're all called to be people who are missionary by nature. There is a sense that I work for the Baptist Missionary Society, but we all work for the Baptist Missionary Society. We're all called to be missionaries. When Jesus said, go and make disciples of nations, he didn't say, some of you go. He said, in the general sense, we're all called to be people confident in the gospel, confident that it is uh, as powerful today as it ever has been in the days of Peter and this encounter of the beautiful gate, as it is in the days in, or in the places of West Bengal, where churches are confidence, not in ourselves, but in the presence of Jesus Christ. I love it at the end of that great commission when Jesus, the last phrase, is surely I am with you always, the end of the age. Because sometimes, in my honest, I can feel completely inadequate. How can I lead a Hindu, West Bengal faith, we don't speak a word in the same language, and yet God is able to do amazing things in and through us if we simply make ourselves available. I surrender Surrendering ourselves, giving ourselves to Christ, allowing Him to work in and through us. Let me pray, and then I'll come back to prayer for the song in our service. Father God, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for what it means to each of us, how you made yourself known to us, how you drew us in, in to your love, into a relationship with you. We thank you for the life in all its fullness that Jesus promises and that's real for us. And we thank you, Father, that this is your mission. We were reminded at the very beginning of our service by Graham that it's not our mission, it's not BMS's mission, this is your mission. You long to make your love known to a world in need, a world that is diverse, even in our own community here in Horsham and the places where we work and live. Diverse people, people with different needs, different situations, but your gospel is real for each one. So help us to be faithful, to be confident in the gospel, to be people who go out to make you known in the places where you've placed us, but also to the ends of the earth. Thank you for people like Laura, for Tim, Laura in Haiti, for Tim and Rachel, and I think for Stephen Ismail in Tunisia, and for others as well spread across the world. Help us to play our part in supporting them and praying for them. But help us too to hear your voice calling out in our prayers as Mary led us in our prayers. We prayed about that prayer of Jesus, you know, that asked the Lord of Harvest to send workers out into the harvest. And we prayed that you would continue to call.
call us out and send us out into the world that needs to hear the love of Christ. For we are